Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 23. Announcements, announcements, announcements. All right, so before we get in to the recap and this week's chapter episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about some Jane Austen-y sort of news. Um, so this summer, the summer of 2022, there are a number of new Jane Austen adaptations that will be coming out that I'm very excited about. One is already out. It's the Pride and Prejudice adaptation called Fire Island on Hulu, which is a gay Pride and Prejudice adaptation. And then there are two Persuasion adaptations coming out this summer. One is a movie version coming out on Netflix, and one is a modern sort of adaptation uh, as a YouTube series coming out on YouTube called Rational Creatures. And I'm really excited about it, so I just wanted to chat a little bit about that. So I'm going to start with the one that is already out that I've already seen, which is Fire Island, which is a modern gay adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that is out on Hulu right now. Highly recommend. You should definitely go and watch. I have added it to my list of adaptations I want to talk about Pride and Prejudice when, if, when and if I finally make it through this book ever. Um, uh, I'm planning to talk about adaptations and I'm definitely going to have to talk about Fire Island because it is so much fun. So this adaptation takes place on Fire Island, an island off of New York. And it's a group of gay men who are good friends and they start out, you know, he calls them his sisters. And they are all, you know, analogous to the five Bennett sisters. There's Howie, who is Jane. There is Noah, who I had to pause because I couldn't remember his name because I, for whatever reason, can never remember Noah's name, but that is Lizzie. And then there are the other three. There's Max, uh, Keegan, and Luke, who are the... Um, are Mary, <laughs> Kitty, and Lydia for the, to round out the sisters. And then there is kind of the house mom on the island. She's the one who owns the house on the island, um, who's played by Margaret Cho, who is amazing and is kind of a Mrs. Bennett character. And then we have another house of people. There's Will and Charlie, who are Darcy and Bingley. And then there is a really... Um, catty friend there that is definitely a Caroline and then there's another friend I think called Brandon who is I think the Hursts um, who's just kind of there and not doesn't do anything and is just kind of blandly um, uppity I don't know <laughs> so that's the cast of characters it's on Fire Island I'm not going to go too in depth on it here because I do plan to actually do an episode about it when I'm done with Pride and Prejudice in a while but while it's topical, because it did just come out very recently, I wanted to talk about it. And the fact that I really enjoyed it, I found it so much fun. There's some great music in it. It is not family friendly. So, I mean, I wouldn't watch it with my little kids. Probably there is nudity, there is sexual content, there are bad words, there are drugs. All of the things that make it more explicit than um, you would think for a Jane Austen adaptation. And yet it works so well, in my opinion. It is such a fun, like, modern thinking, rethinking of it, um, just because 
there are still class distinctions in our culture in America here today. And this is an example, in my opinion, of that, of how to make Jane Austen kind of work with our modern class money distinctions and things in a way that makes sense and works. And I thought it was really fun. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. I mean, it is a modern gay adaptation, so it's obviously not an exact replica of the book. There is um, leeway with it. But in my opinion, it is very faithful to the feeling of the story. They cut out Charlotte, which I don't love because Charlotte's amazing. Or at least I couldn't, I don't know who Charlotte was if Charlotte's in there. I have not in depth, like, looked into it, just watched it. I don't think Charlotte's there. Um, but I, so that's sad. But the way they did Wickham and the way they did Darcy, the way they did all of that was so much fun, so great. The Jane Sh Bingley thing, so Howie and Charlie, I think they did it all right. Um, I didn't love Charlie, the Bingley character, but I don't think that their the interpretation was wrong. Like it wasn't bad, it just wasn't my exact taste. And what I mean by that is that Charlie came off kind of more the way he does in the 2005 version, which um, which just means, like, I feel like both the 2005 version and now this version and various versions, they kind of make him an airhead. And I don't think Bingley's an airhead. I just don't like that version of the interpretation. I think Bingley is very friendly. And yes, he's a little naive, but he's not stupid, right? Like, and even in this version of Fire Island, he's a doctor, so he's not dumb, but he comes off just a little, I don't know, airheady. And I'm not a big fan of that interpretation of who Bingley Charlie is. Um, but that would be my one kind of note. I didn't love that. I thought the the character that was basically playing Caroline Bingley was fantastic. He got that cattiness down to a T. Um, the Wickham was also really fun. I thought their Darcy was fabulous. And Howie, the Jane character, also like the hopeless romantic, super sweet person just worked out so well. I just had such a great time with it. Cannot recommend enough. Um, I think it was fabulous and I'm super excited about it. So go watch Fire Island. It's fantastic. All right. So moving on. The other two adaptations I obviously haven't gotten to see yet. Well, Rational Creatures, the one that's on YouTube, is a modern, also sort of gay adaptation of Persuasion. I've seen the first half or season one because that is already out. You can go watch that on YouTube right now. Um, season two is supposed to be coming out this summer. I'm not exactly sure when. But I'm waiting with bated breath. They just released the trailer for season two, and it looked so good. I'm very excited. The first half of season one was amazing. Um, so I'm super excited for season two to come out and get to see, like, the full story, the full picture. Um, because season one was just some, like, I think five or six episodes, like, kind of proof of concept, like, getting you into the story, but it just stops then. And... Season two should be the rest of the novel to finish out the story. So I'm very excited to see that. Also highly recommend go on YouTube and watch season one and wait with bated breath with me for season two. It should be fantastic. And then the third adaptation that is coming out this summer is another version of Persuasion on Netflix. And that one is should be a more, I think, traditional-ish version. It looks like they're in period costumes, so it's a period piece, more traditional, although it is less, um, it is a more diverse racially cast, um, which should be exciting to see. 
Um, but if, for whatever reason, it's the only, I think, stay, keeps all the relationships hetero version of a Jane Austen adaptation that's coming out this summer that I know of. Um, but I'm excited for that one, too. It should be a lot of fun. I believe the main character is Dakota Johnson, I want to say her name is. The same person who was the um, lead in Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I don't think I've seen her in much of anything else, so I um, I don't know. Hopefully she's a good actress, and hopefully it's a good time. I, um, I'm hopeful. I'll be honest that I haven't really loved any adaptations of Persuasion I've seen, except for Honestly Rational Creatures so far, and that was not even fully done. Um, so I'm hopeful. I hope that it's, it's good. I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, so those are the adaptations that I know of that are coming out this summer of Jane Austen that I'm excited about and ready to see. And the one that really goes with this season of Pride and Prejudice is obviously the Fire Island, and that's the only one I've been able to see in its entirety at this point. Highly recommend. Go watch it. I'm super excited, and I will talk more on the details and what I like and what I don't like and go through it when I get to it. A long time from now once I'm done with the book of Pride and Prejudice when we go over movie adaptations I'm pretty sure that I'm going to add it to the movie adaptations that I want to talk about because why not it's amazing all right so that is all I've got to say on the news portion of this show and then we will get back to our regularly scheduled entertainment thank y'all on Pride and Prejudice. We have met the Bennets, the Bingleys, the Darcys, the Lucases, Mr. Wickham, Mr. Denny, also Mr. Collins. Um, we've learned about the Bennett family having five daughters, the estate entailed away from the female line to Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins has come and met the daughters and he, have, he proposed to Lizzie, but she said no. So he proposed to her best friend, Charlotte Lucas, and she said yes. Escandal. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Throughout all of this, there's also the whole Bing, uh, Mr. Bingley and Jane falling in love, but then Mr. Bingley being taken away to London. And... Hmm. Anything else going on? I don't know. There's all sorts of things going on. But the most recent inf scandalous information is that Bingley and all his friends, well, his, well Darcy and his relations have all gone to London, and we don't know if they're coming back again. And Mr. Collins proposed to Lizzie, and then turned around and, like, two days later proposed to Charlotte. And Charlotte actually said yes. And so the last couple chapters we've been dealing with the fallout of Charlotte saying yes. And you got to hear me ramble and ramble about how much I like Charlotte, and how I think that they are unfair to Charlotte in this decision that she has made. And we'll get a little bit more of that here in chapter 23, as we are still going to be talking about Charlotte and her decision. Um, and yeah, that is where we're at. Whew. All right, here we go into chapter 23. This is the last chapter of volume one. So next time when we come back, we're going to be into volume two. So I also want to talk about this interest as an interesting... No, let me rephrase as a way to talk about what would this be as like the ending because if you are reading this in 
you know, back in 1813 when it first came out, you might only have volume one and then you have to go get volume two. So this might be kind of your cliffhanger for the story until you get volume two. So I want to kind of talk to it, talk about it in that sense as kind of a wrap up for this section of the novel. And there we are. We'll get going with chapter 23. So chapter 23 starts out with Elizabeth having just found out that Charlotte is going to marry Mr. Collins because Charlotte has told her. So they have that whole conversation and, you know, Charlotte's saying that she was ready to do this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not romantic, you know, I never was. I only asked for a comfortable home and considering Mr. Collins' character, connections and situation in life. I am convinced that my chance of happiness with him is as far as most people can boast on and is fair as most people can boast on entering the marriage state. Blah, blah, blah. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But so this, this next chapter, 23, starts out right after that conversation. Elizabeth is sitting with her mother and sisters, reflecting on what she had heard. So I'm assuming that she saw like Charlotte in the morning. And now this is more like afternoon. She's sitting with her family when... Um, Sir William Lucas comes in to, like, announce the engagement to the family. And he does. And Mrs. Bennet freaks out and, like, that can't happen. And Lydia is um, un always unguarded and often uncivil, boisterously exclaimed, Good Lord, Sir William, how can you tell such a story? Do you not know, or do not you know, that Mr. Collins wants to marry Lizzie? Nothing less than the complacence of a courtier could have borne with such anger without anger such treatment but sir william's good breeding carried him through it all and though he begged leave to be positive as to the truth of his information he listened to all their impertinence with the most forbearing courtesy so poor sir william lucas is dealing with the fact that nobody believes him and lizzie is the one who has to kind of step forward and, and tell them like no charlotte told me so herself i this is happening this is real don't be like that um, and so then Elizabeth and Jane are the ones who have to, like, hold up the politeness of the family and give their congratulations to Sir William about what great this is going to be. And Mrs. Bennet is so shocked. It says she was, far, in fact, too much overpowered to say a great deal while Sir William remained. But no sooner had he left than her feelings found a rapid vent. And here is what Mrs. Bennet has to, t has to say about the subject. In the first place... She persisted in disbelieving the whole of the matter. So, firstly, don't believe this is happening. This is not true. Secondly, she was very sure that Mr. Collins had been taken in. So, first, this isn't happening. Not true. She's going through the stages of grief. Two, <laughs> um, Mr. Collins has been taken in, meaning he has been fooled. Charlotte has, like, coerced him into doing this. Which is sort of true. Like, Charlotte did, I think, like, make this happen but no he wasn't like she didn't trick him against his will she just made it very like easy for him for him to do this so okay mrs will mrs bennett all right so first not happening two charlotte is tricking mr collins poor mr collins third they're not going to be happy together she trusted that they would never be happy together so thirdly they're all going to be unhappy and finally and fourthly that the match might be broken off. So, she's got four thoughts. 
No, it did. No, it's not happening. Two. Mr. Collins is being tricked. Three. They're not going to be happy. Four. Maybe they'll break up. All very helpful. Thank you, Mrs. Bennett. And then she's got two inferences, however, where they're plainly deduced from the whole. And these are the things that she's mostly going to complain about for the preceding future. One, Elizabeth was the real cause of all the mischief, and the other, that she herself had been barbarously used by them all, and on these two points she principally dwelt during the rest of the day. So those first four things she had to talk about, but really the problem is, this is all Lizzie's fault, which, I mean, again, she's not wrong. If Lizzie had said yes, this wouldn't have happened, but, I mean, do you even know your daughter? Lizzie was never going to do that. Um, and... Second, that she has been barbarously used by everybody, and like, um, what do you have to do with it? Okay, it's all about you, Mrs. Bennet. Yes, everyone's doing this just to make you unhappy. I think it's a little bit um, overblown there, but that is what Mrs. Bennet does. Um, it says, nothing could console and nothing appease her. Nor did that day wear out her resentment. A week elapsed before she could see Elizabeth without scolding her. A month passed away before she could speak to Sir William or Lady Lucas without being rude. And many months were gone before she could at all forgive their daughter. So, Mrs. Bennet is going to hold a grudge about this whole situation for quite some time. Then we learn how Mr. Bennet feels about the situation. And Mr. Bennet was more tranquil on the occasion. And such as he did experience, he pronounced to be of a most agreeable sort, for it gratified him, he said, to discover that Charlotte Lucas, whom he had always been, he had been used to think tolerably sensible, was as foolish as his wife, and more foolish than his daughter. Okay, Mr. Bennet. So here I think we're seeing mm -hmm. Mr. Bennet being honestly a lot like Lizzie. So we're talking about Lizzie being sort of blind and prejudiced against people. Who did she learn it from? She learned it from Mr. Bennet, her father. And here we see Mr. Bennett being like that, because I think that here we're seeing that Mr. Bennett has no concept of the situation that Charlotte is having to deal with, or no, I don't know, empathy for her in her situation. Because here he's just basically like, well, I found, I used to think Charlotte was sensible, but she's going to marry that idiot, so she's obviously not. And then just, again, I talked about this last time a whole bunch but I just that's that's way oversimplifying the situation Charlotte has reasons for what she's doing and they're not dumb and she's not dumb and I don't think she's foolish for doing this either and I think Mr. Bennett's wrong and I love Mr. Bennett a lot of the time but I do think that we see some of his failings throughout as well he's definitely not a perfect father by any stretch of the imagination as we will see more and more as time goes on but here, this situation where he just says that Charlotte's foolish and kind of wipes his hands of the whole thing, I think is a place where we see that Mr. Bennett is not, not always the nicest person. Um, and we forgive him because Lizzie forgives him because Lizzie loves him. And we see a lot of this through Lizzie's perspective. But trying to take myself as much as I can out of Lizzie's perspective and just looking at it as from an outside observer... I think here we see a situation where Mr. Bennett is not correct, <laughs> um, is being mean and not empathetic toward Charlotte's situation, um, and not understanding why someone like Charlotte would say yes to this sort of offer. And I can love him for that in the sense that I think 
it would have been wrong to force Lizzie to do this, as most fathers would have, or force Lizzie to, you know, marry Mr. Collins. So I love that Mr. Bennett didn't do that and does understand that a woman should marry somebody that she actually likes and wants to marry instead of just for money. And I, I think that that's a good thing, that he feels that way and thinks that way and is raising his daughters to feel that way, at, at least his eldest two that he cares about. Um, but at the same time, it's not practical to completely ignore the monetary situation of the situation and to... I just find it cruel that he's laughing at Charlotte for having to live in the society she lives in. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. Don't be a jerk about it, <laughs> you know? I don't love Mr. Bennett in this situation. Then we get Jane, what Jane thinks. So we kind of go through the different characters. So Jane confessed herself a little surprised, but she said less of her astonishment than her earnest desire for their happiness. And nor could Elizabeth persuade her to consider it as improbable. So Lizzie is still very against the match, obviously, and thinks that they're going to be miserable, or at least Charlotte will. Um, and Jane is also surprised that Charlotte should say yes, but she is, in general, just hopeful that everyone's happy and it's all going to be good. And even Lizzie can't talk her out of thinking that. Then we get Kitty and Lydia who did not envy Miss Lucas because Mr. Collins is a clergyman and it affected the situation that um, Charlotte is going to marry him affected them in no other way than as a piece of news to spread at Meryton. So I think it's interesting to go through the family. Did you notice who's missing, who they didn't talk about? Mary. We get no information of how Mary feels about this whole situation. And I know that there's a lot of sort of fan theories on the subject that Mary might be interested in Mr. Collins. And some of the adaptations, movie adaptations, take a strong stance on this. Um, there's a there's some stuff a little bit earlier where they talk about how Mary might have been mo the most likely to want to marry Mr. Collins, that she liked him more than m the other sisters. So I think it's interesting that we go through all the family. So last chapter we got an in-depth of how Lizzie feels. Then we get how Mrs. Bennett feels. We get how Mr. Bennett feels. We get Jane. We get Kitty and Lydia. We do not get Mary. Mary is not talked about. So we never get to see what Mary thinks about the situation, which again leaves it up to interpretation, which I think could very easily be on purpose. Like she doesn't want to, Jane Austen doesn't necessarily want to give us a paragraph of how Mary was so sad that Mr. Collins didn't want to marry her and blah, blah, blah. We don't get that, but it's left up to our interpretation because we don't get that Mary didn't care either. We don't get that Mary was perfectly indifferent to the whole situation. Um, so I think it leaves it up to interpretation. You could believe that Mary might be upset that Mr. Collins didn't look at her at all and didn't come and marry her, which is interesting. I just think it's interesting that Mary is not talked about. The rest of the family is, but Mary is very conspicuously left out. Then we move on to the Lucases. We get Lady Lucas could not be insensible of the triumph on being able to retort on Mrs. Bennet the comfort of having a daughter well married and she called at Longbourn rather oftener than usual to say how happy she was, though Mrs. Bennet's sour looks and ill-natured remarks might have been enough to drive happiness away. So this is calling back to, we've spent basically this whole first part of the novel, this part one, um, volume one, talking, watching Mrs. Bennet like crow at Lady Lucas about how Charlotte's not married 
and how Jane's going to get married so well. And then, ooh, look, Lizzie's going to get married too. And I'm going to have two well-married daughters. And it's going to be so fabulous. She's been doing this the entire time. And now Lady Lucas gets to come over. I'm like, look at all your unmarried daughters. My daughter's engaged. And it's such a good match. And blah, blah, blah. She gets to, like, throw it in Mrs. Bennet's face. And she is having a ball, it seems like. And Mrs. Bennet is having a tantrum. So that's going on. And then we get the next chapter, which is about Charlotte and Lizzie and their relationship. And I, it's very sad to me. It says, between Elizabeth and Charlotte, there was a restraint which kept them mutually silent on the subject. And Elizabeth felt persuaded that no real confidence could ever subsist between them again. And I think that's really sad that, in, on Lizzie's side at least, she feels like they can't really be friends anymore because she so disapproves of Charlotte's choice. And again, I just really feel like this shows just the way I was mad a couple paragraphs ago at Mr. Bennett for not seeming to understand the actual like realities of the situation. I here again see that Lizzie doesn't seem to actually have any empathy for Charlotte's situation. And it is different than Lizzie's situation. I want to kind of I want to kind of shake Lizzie here where she feels like she can have no confidence in friendship with Charlotte anymore because Charlotte married and is marrying an idiot. And I get it, kind of, but this isn't just a sense of Charlotte picking somebody she wants to be friends with. Like, this is Charlotte making a life for herself in a society where she doesn't have that many choices. Like, I really... I feel like we're being very mean to Charlotte when... She doesn't have a lot of options. She's almost outside of the marriageable age. She doesn't have a lot of money. She's not considered pretty. Like, what other options does she have at this point? Her options are marry the idiot and have a comfortable home and get herself up in society and then have to deal with the one idiot who's her husband. Or she can stay at home and have to deal with the idiot who's her father and probably the idiot who's her brother and not have that position, not have the security, and have to just be a sort of unwanted relative in her father and then her brother's house for the rest of her life. I just really feel like it's even worse when I didn't like it when Mr. Bennett did it a couple paragraphs ago, but I really don't like it when Lizzie's doing it here. I feel like Lizzie has zero empathy for her friend who's supposed to be like her best friend, right? Outside of her sister, because let's be honest, Jane is obviously her actual best friend. But outside of her, of her family, of her sister, Charlotte's her only other, like, real friend we learn about in the book. And she basically is like, I can't be friends with her anymore because she's marrying a guy I disapprove of. And I just, I find it very sad. I find it very unempathetic of Lizzie to not understand that their situations are so different. They're very similar and they're very different at the same time. They're similar in that they're both of similar sort of social standing, similar money. Charlotte is monetarily maybe in a slightly better place in that she has brothers who are, would be expected to take care of her. But it seems like Charlotte also has more siblings, possibly. And Charlotte's older and not seen as as pretty and is seen as a spinster. She already knows what it's going to be like. She's had to sort of accept that that's what her life was going to be. She was going to be a spinster and now is like taking the chance to not be. Lizzie has never had to live that life. She's like 20. She's young. She's pretty. She's vivacious. Lizzie thinks she's going to get married. That's still the plan. Or if she's not, then Jane's going to get married and take care of her. Like, I just, the lack of empathy from Lizzie in this section is just, 
mind-boggling, in my opinion. And here's the thing, I still love Lizzie. Lizzie is one of my favorite heroines in all of Jane Austen. Lizzie's amazing. But Lizzie sometimes lacks some empathy. <laughs> and is sometimes judgmental. And here we are seeing a little bit of that foreshadowed, in my opinion, and how just strongly she is against the situation with Charlotte and has no empathetic bone in her body for Charlotte and Charlotte's situation and Charlotte's choice. And that's sad to me. Um, but we use this as now a turn to Lizzie's actual best friend, Jane, because it says her disappointment in Charlotte made her turn with fonder regard to her sister, of whose rectitude and delicacy she was sure her opinion could never be shaken. So when she's saying delicacy here, I think this is another dig at Charlotte, obviously. So her sister Jane, whose rectitude and delicacy. So I looked up rectitude and that means morally correct behavior or thinking righteousness. So her mor morality. So that's a dig at Charlotte's morality, right? Because we're saying that we, c we can't think her ideas of what Jane's morality or rectitude could never change. And so her, so that's implying that her thoughts about Charlotte's rectitude have changed, right? And then the other word she uses is delicacy. So this is moral sensitivity and taste, fineness of feeling. This quality would ensure that she would never marry someone as crude and repugnant as Mr. Collins. So when she's saying that she could never have, be disappointed in Jane's rectitude and delicacy, I think that means that she is disappointed in Charlotte's rectitude and delicacy, meaning her morality, meaning that, that Lizzie is judging Charlotte hard as basically a gold digger, as marrying this man only for his money, which I mean, yes, she is. But is she wrong? I, you know my opinion. No, I don't think she's wrong. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just... Lizzie is so judgy in this section at Charlotte, and I don't think it's justified or fair. And it really bothers me. So there you are. Um, so she's sure that her opinion in Jane could never be shaken. But she is very worried about Jane's happiness as Bingley has been gone a week and nothing has been heard that he's going to return. Jane had written to Caroline very early to try and get a reply and was counting down the days to get a reply from Caroline so that she could hear more information about what's going on with Mr. Bingley. Um, they got a letter from Mr. Collins with his, you know, promise, the letter he said he would send when he left saying that he's, um, all his thanks. And it says here, it was written with all the solemnity of gratitude which a 12-month abode in the family might have prompted. And then he um, goes on to tell them about how he's going to marry Miss Lucas, which they've already heard from Sir William Lucas, her father. And that he's planning to come back and stay with them again so that he can see his darling Charlotte because Lady Catherine wants him to get married right away. So Mr. Collins is coming back. Oh, joy of joys. <laughs> um, but now Mrs. Bennet is no longer happy that Mr. Collins is coming back. She had been excited because she thought that maybe he'd marry Mary. But that obviously is not going to happen. Now that he's going to marry Charlotte, she does not want him to come back. 
And she's complaining about it to Mr. Bennett quite a bit, saying that it was very strange that he should come to Longbourn instead of Lucas Lodge. It was also very inconvenient and exceedingly troublesome. She hated having visitors in the house while her health was so indifferent, and lovers were of all people the most disagreeable. Um, so, Mr. Collins is coming back to, to see Charlotte so they can get married as soon as possible, and Mrs. Bennet is unhappy and complaining all the time about it. And the only other thing she complained about was that Mr. Bingley wasn't there. So she's just going back and forth between those two things. And neither Jane or Elizabeth are comfortable or happy when their mother switches to complaining about Mr. Bingley. Um, they hadn't heard anything from him, but now they get rumors that he's probably not coming back to Netherfield this winter at all. Which is unfortunate and unhappy. And Mrs. Bennet's now talking about that, but claiming that it must be a scandalous falsehood that can't be true. And Elizabeth is beginning to fear, not that Bingley doesn't like Jane, but that he might be overpowered by his sisters and his friends and kept from returning. Um, meaning that Mr. Darcy and his sisters have sort of kept him trapped in London and will keep him there until he forgets about Jane. And it says that Jane's anxiety of this was more painful than Elizabeth's. But she was very, she worked very hard to conceal this, which is what Jane always does. She's trying to keep it in and not let any, not let it show. Um, as I'm saying that line, I've got, let it go, let it go. Conceal, don't feel, don't let it show. Just one wrong wound and everyone will know. From Frozen. Um, it's very Elsa vibes, like, keep all your emotions inside. Um... So she doesn't want to talk about it. She's trying to hide it, even from Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth tries not to bring it up, doesn't want to make Jane feel bad, but Mrs. Bennet has no such feeling and talks about it constantly. And even makes Jane feel worse by trying to, like, over and over get her to say that, don't you feel ill-used? I would feel so ill-used if such a thing had happened to me. I wouldn't let it happen. Me, 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 me. Oh my god, Mrs. Bennet must be so grating during this set time. So Mr. Collins comes back, just as expected. Um, and he doesn't spend all that much time with them because he's too busy going to Lucas Lodge all the time. So that at least is good. They don't have to spend a lot of time with Mr. Collins. But Mrs. Bennet is in a most pitiable state. Um... And even mentioning that Mr. Collins is marrying Charlotte Lucas makes her so upset. The sight of Miss Lucas was odious to her. As her successor in the house, she regarded her with jealous abhorrence. So anytime now that she sees Charlotte Lucas, she just thinks that, you know, she's going to be the next mistress of Longbourn and how horrible that is and just gets all upset. There is a funny thing here. It says her conversation with Mr. Bennet, he, she says, Indeed, Mr. Bennet, said she, it is very hard to think that Charlotte Lucas should ever be mistress of this house, that I should be forced to make way for her and live to see her take my place in it. And he replies, My dear, do not give way to such gloomy thoughts. Let us hope for better things. Let us flatter ourselves that I may be the survivor. Which I just think is a funny line, the idea that... Oh, don't worry about it. As long as I die, as you, like, if you die before me, then you'll never have to worry about it. 
because of course Charlotte won't get to um, be mistress of the house until Mr. Collins inherits, which won't happen until Mr. Bennett dies. So if Mrs. Bennett dies first, then she'll never have to worry about it. Not unsurprisingly, this wasn't very consoling to Mrs. Bennett. And therefore, instead of making any answer, she went on as before, which is what Mrs. Bennett always does. If she hears something she doesn't want to hear, she just continues on without thinking about it. And then she and Mr. Bennett have a more kind of meaningless conversation about the estate and the entail. And, you know, talking about how how anyone could have the conscience to entail away from estates only one's own daughter. I cannot understand, and for all the sake of Mr. Collins, too, why should he have it more than anybody else? I leave it to yourself to determine, said Mr. Bennett. And so basically here, I think we're just seeing again that Mrs. Bennett is ridiculous because Mr. Bennett wouldn't have been the one who set up the entail. It would have been whoever he inherited it from, possibly even a generation before that, but most likely the one who he inherited it from. So probably his father. So the girl's grandfather would have been the one to set up the entail, which means that the person who set up the entail was not entailing it away from their own daughters because it wasn't Mr. Bennett who did it. Um... And this was all done, I'm sure, before Mr. Bennett ever married Mrs. Bennett, before they had kids, before they knew that he wouldn't have a son. In an ideal world, according to the entail, the goal was that Mr. Bennett would have a son who would then inherit. Um, so this was not set up as a way to take the inheritance away from Mr. Bennett's daughter specifically. It was not as a way to help Mr. Collins specifically. It's just kind of what ended up happening because the Bennett's never had a son. Um, and so it just goes again to show kind of the ridiculousness of Mrs. Bennett because she doesn't understand how entails work. Um, but that is how the chapter ends with the last line of it being, I leave it to yourself to determine, said Mr. Bennett. The end of the chapter and the end of volume one. So that is how this story ends. Is This is kind of like the end of this portion of the story. And I do think it's as good as an ending point as, you know, anything else going on, because we have volume two and volume three. Um, so this first portion of the novel, volume one, is very much <coughs> introducing, I think, most, if not all, of our characters. can't remember. I don't think we've met the gardeners yet. So that would be the one. We've heard of them, but we haven't met them yet. But I think really those are the only big characters we haven't met yet. Um, that don't appear in volume one. We've met all our characters. All the pieces are on the stage at this point, basically. Um, you know, we've met Mr. Collins. He's marrying Charlotte. We've got that drama going on. We've met Mr. Wickham. We've met Darcy. We've met Bingley. We've met Caroline. We've got all the major romances sort of in play at this point. And, you know, that's where we end up for volume one. And I think that is a lot of what Volume 1 has been doing. We keep meeting new characters, like, introducing what the drama is going to be. So introducing the drama of Jane and Bingley. Introducing the drama of Darcy and Elizabeth. Introducing the drama between Wickham and Darcy. Introducing Mr. Collins and Charlotte's drama. Like, all of that. All the main, like, plot points, drama points are now in play in the story as of the end of Volume 1. And then we get to kind of play with all those storylines going forward through Volume 2 and Volume 3 which will be a lot of fun. So, 
that is where we end for chapter 23 um, and for all of volume one. Next time we'll be back with the first chapter of volume two, where we are still upset that Bingley hasn't come home yet <laughs> or come back to Netherfield. So that is where we're at um, in volume two is where we get a lot of more interesting stuff with Charlotte and Mr. Collins because we're going to go visit them at in Kent and at Rosings. We're going to get to see Mr. Darcy more. Um, all of that happens. And then volume three is where we get to go up to the north and see Pemberley, which will be very exciting. All of it to come. Very excited to get into volume two. I will see you there. Bye. Thank you.